Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Goodbye. Goodbye. It's good stuff. You're welcome to stay. Plenty of room in the front row. So um, several months ago when we were together as a speaking team trying to decide uh, what series we were going to do and who was going to talk when and what scriptures we were going to unpack at certain times, because uh, we don't actually just make it all up the week before. Uh, there's, there's actually a plan, and uh, we asked the Holy Spirit to oversee that, and it's been interesting. You could ask Kip uh, how many times uh, the Spirit moved to have a series happen at a time when it was relevant that we didn't even know it was going to be relevant. Um, so anyways, when we were talking about giving, um, I said, ooh, 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 let me teach on the tithe. And um, they all looked at me like I was crazy. Usually we give Bruce all the hard stuff. Um, <laughs> but I really wanted to, and um, a few different reasons uh, for that. Well, well, two main reasons. And one is that it, is, it was always hard for me as a pastor to talk about giving. And, and pastors often feel like if they talk about giving and encouraging you to give more in whatever form, that it's benefiting them. So part of the benefit, <clears throat> technology, thank you, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I do pastorly things at this church. If you think I'm a pastor of the church, you're wrong. Um, I am a guy who ministers in the same way you minister wherever that is, um, in the kids' department or first impressions or discipleship, counseling, whatever that is. Uh, this just happens to be the place that I get to minister. And um, so since I'm not on staff here, and it doesn't matter how much money you give, it's not going to affect my anything, um, I, I thought that was an exciting opportunity for me to get to talk to you about it. The second main reason is just that I think tithing is exciting. And uh, you probably think I'm kidding or that I'm overstating it. I don't. Um, tithing has become... Um, very exciting for us. I'm always happy my, when, when the paycheck hits, you know, the direct deposit hits the account. Um, usually that day or next day, whatever, my wife goes and she goes online. We do ours online and she gives and then she says, hey, we did that. And I'm always like, yes, um, that is exciting. I love tithing. So um, this morning I get to talk to you about tithing and I'm going to do it in a way different than maybe what you've heard before. And uh, some of you are already mad at me. I haven't even said anything yet. Um, you already feel like I'm meddling, and I'm not. Um, I'm going to share my journey. I'm going to talk to you about the, the process that God took me through to get me to where I am on my view of tithe. And I just encourage you to be open-minded and hear it and interact with it and let it um, challenge your way of thinking on it, maybe. Um, and I'm happy to be challenged by your way of thinking on it um, after the fact, not in the middle of the service, please. <laughs> so let's talk about my journey. It began, um, I was raised with the tithe. I was taught that from a young age. I was raised uh, Baptist and went to um, Baptist Church in Mentone. And I, honestly, I don't remember the basis. I don't know what I don't remember the pastor ever saying, here is a verse that we go to that, it, that says you have to tithe. I was just raised with it, and so I did it. Um, but as I um, paid attention to sermons and things, 
it seemed to be that the basis was verses like this. At least these were the verses that were commonly used. This is out of Malachi, and God is talking to Israel, and they had not been bringing their tithes, tithes before him. And so through Malachi, he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says uh, the Lord of hosts. And that means Yahweh of armies. Like that's that, the existence God who has the big military. Um, He says, so test me in this. Um, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so it was verses like those, other Old Testament passages on tithing that um, I have lodged in my mind that were the basis for me giving a tithe. The problem for me in that, the, where that led me that was problematic, um, was that it caused my relationship with God to look like this contract. Um, It led to contractualism in my relationship with him. Formula. If I do this, then God is bound and required to do this. Um, That's damaging to a personal relationship with the living God, in my opinion. It was at least damaging to my relationship with him. And he became the cosmic vending machine uh, where if I gave X, I knew I could push the buttons and get Y. Um, So when I went to seminary, uh, and I did that after college, and uh, began to improve as a theologian, began to improve as an interpreter of the text, and we started studying things called hermeneutics, um, and that's a fancy word for how do you study the Bible, Um, I began to realize that there are two two primary ways to study scripture, to read the Bible. Uh, I I realize this is a gross oversimplification, but it um, at least serves as the, um, I think it serves as a good starting point. And the first is to say that every verse in scripture is written to me. Um, It's it's a popular way of reading the Bible. We don't read any other text anywhere the same way, but some people do this with scriptures. And so what happens is that, especially when you read the Old Testament, you replace anything like, the Israelites or Israel or Joshua or whoever it is that God's talking to and you replace that with insert your name here and then you have all kinds of promises and all kinds of requirements that are placed on you based on your readings of that. Um, Like I said, we don't read any other texts that way. Um, We don't read David and Goliath's story. In fact, we, we automatically don't read this way, right? Because when you read David and Goliath, you don't look around for the tallest guy to kill. That's, that is not, we automatically do uh, some good hermeneutics. So one way is to say every verse is written to me. Tons of problems with that. If, if uh, you want to talk more about that one-on-one, I will, but let's keep moving. The other primary way to look at the scriptures is to say that every verse was preserved for me. So not written to me, but preserved for me. In other words, and that's essentially what um, Peter says in one of his letters, that these things are preserved for our benefit and our edification. Um, This lets you keep the original audience intact. If it's written to Israel, you say, okay, God was saying this to Israel, and then we start to get to drill down and say, what are the principles, what is the background that causes God to say this to them? 
what did obedience look like for them in their time, in their covenant relationship with God, and how might those principles still apply to me today um, as someone who is not an ancient Israelite and is not living under the law any further. Um, and so that is something that we do pretty automatically. Every pastor here in your church, everyone who's standing up and preaching, um, accepts this second view um, of Scripture. In fact, Bruce was talking about just a few weeks ago when he was talking about, he, he really hammered on the principle behind something that we were talking about. I think it was uh, maybe head coverings and, and some of those things um, in, that, in that series on gifts in 1 Corinthians. Um, in the Old Testament, that means that we have to read the blessings and requirements uh, and the commandments that are in the law as given to Israel at that time and then figure out where do we go from there for us. A command given in the Mosaic law to them may not have the same application as it does to me. Um, in case you're nervous with that, let me ask you, how many of you had bacon this week? Raise your hands. Raise them. Be proud. It's okay. Um, all right, less than 40%, um, you need to do better. Um, how many of you, so some of you are like, ha-ha, didn't eat bacon this week. Um, how many of you are wearing a garment right now that has more than one fabric in it? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's, if you don't know, just raise your hand, because you are. Like, <laughs> if you have any kind of elasticy thing at all, and you're not wearing just spandex, um, then you then you are wearing a, mix, a mixed fabric, and that's banned in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. Um, so God made all kinds of, of statements to them and, and law relationships with them that were meant to set them apart and help them understand that they had a unique relationship with the one true God. Um, and while you and I have a unique relationship with the one true God, it's not the one they had. A blessing that is tied to obedience in the law of Moses cannot be claimed by me now in the same way that they could because I'm not under the law. So anyways, as I begin to read these uh, or studies, uh, study hermeneutics and understand these principles better, um, I began to realize, realize that since all these Old Testament verses on tithe were what I was using to say that I had to tithe and I wasn't required to obey the law anymore, I jettisoned, I cast off the tithe. Uh, there was certainly a principle behind it, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but I just felt like since I wasn't an ancient Israelite living in ancient Israel, um, I did not have to live with a tithe. When I understood that I was free from the law of Moses, thanks to the work of Jesus on the cross, I, I abandoned the tithe and decided that all God expected of me was to be a cheerful giver. I took two hands, I'll put down the thing, I took two hands and I ripped this verse out of context and said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I decided that all that I had to give was what I could be cheerful about. <laughs> and I wasn't very cheerful. Um... This new freedom that I had did not enlarge my generosity. It reduced it. Um, at the time, I was a pastor of a church. Uh, I pastored two different churches um, for a total of about 15 years. Uh, they were both very small, and I was the only pastor, so I was the head pastor of these two churches. 
And because they were very small, pay was very low. At both of them, I had the parsonage, which is a, a tool that's, that's a Latin or Greek for a tool that Satan uses to hurt pastors. <laughs> so I had the free housing, and then I had um, a paycheck from the church. Uh, the, the, it started at $150, $150 a month, and um, at one church got as high as $500 a month for the time that I was there. Um, so that's how we spent about 14 of those 15 years, was parsonage and poverty. So uh, I felt sorry for myself and um, was not generous, did not give, felt like when I did give, I was giving to me uh, because I was the only pastor. Um, and whenever I felt any kind of tinge of guilt about that, um, I reminded God that I was living sacrificially and that counted. That was it. Like that, that makes up for it. Think of how much my time is worth, I would tell God. Um, so cheerful giving didn't work out for me. Um, and now I've already told you I believe in joyful tithing. So I started with the wrong basis. I had a wrong heart. Um, and now I believe in tithing. So how did I land there? And the answer is I started performing weddings. Makes sense, right? For a while, I didn't notice anything special about weddings or marriage in Scripture. I was just like, okay, well, Ephesians 5 says it's a picture of Christ in the church, and Song of Songs says some pretty racy stuff. And then, I don't know how many years it was, I realized in one of my sermons that I was preparing a sermon for a wedding, yes, because I take every opportunity to preach, um, birthday parties I preach, that's usually the gift I bring. Um, <laughs> invite me to your anniversary, I'll preach there. Um, I realized that I was standing up and saying that marriage was before the church. If you listen to one of my wedding homilies, it has that in it. Marriage came before the church. Marriage came before Israel. When did we get marriage? We got it in the Garden of Eden. We got it one or two days into human existence. God gave a gift to Adam and Eve, and it was called marriage. That's why a man leaves his father and mother. And so um, I realized that God had some things that were established before the law. It was a couple years before I realized that there was more than just marriage. Um, I started reading, and I realized that the Sabbath was the same way. That the Sabbath was something that God established in the order of creation and that later he gave specific application of how they were to observe it in the law, but it was already there. It was already something that was happening, that there was a gift that was given of Sabbath rest, a gift and an expectation. Um, I don't remember exactly how long it took me to find these, the total of four things, but then I found sanctity of life. Because if you read the early verses or the early chapters of Genesis, it is an extremely violent time of murder, of death, um, of careless, yeah, careless violence. And I realized that well before the law, 
Yahweh had said that life is valuable. And in 9.6, he said, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And so human life is valuable simply because of basic creaturehood. And so I came out with these four, um, these four things, marriage, Sabbath, sanctity of life, and tithing, which we're going to get, I'll show you the verses to that in just a few minutes, that seem to me to be before the law, and they are just part of basic humanity. They are codified in the fact that you are a creature and he is a creator. That's my take on it. Um, I don't need a law to tell me these things because it is just the way God set it up. And here's what I want you to notice, that these four things have something in common. Marriage, Sabbath, sanctity of life, and tithing all have in common that they require dependence on Yahweh. me say, how does marriage require that? In an ancient world, the way you gained power was by large families. The way you get large families is by marrying multiple wives. And as a woman, the way that you make sure that you're well protected is by being not his only wife, but one of his many wives. Because then there's a big community and you're protected. And so here, if every other man is marrying lots of wives to make his families large and powerful, and you choose to obey God and marry one woman, you're weak, and you have to count on God. The Sabbath, how does the Sabbath work? Well, if every other family can spend seven days pursuing their wealth and power, and you're only doing six days, you're down. I should have divided that out. Does anybody know what percentage that is? About 16, about 14, we'll say 15, just meet right in the middle. Um, you're losing some percentage of workable time when they're getting ahead. In fact, that was a major stressor in Israel, was that they, um, they hated the fact that they couldn't make money on that extra day, and God calls them out on it time and time again. Uh, Sabbath requires it, sanctity of life. Every other guy can just kill someone that gets in his way, and you, ha you can't. You have to honor his life and protect it and say that it has value. I mean, in that ancient violent world, especially, that would have been a weakness. And tithing, well, obviously, everyone else was able to consume whatever they had on their own pleasure or power. And here you were taking 10% of it and putting it aside. So these are the four that I've realized so far. I don't know if there's more. Uh, I don't know if that needs some adjustment, but that's where I've landed. And these essentials get at the nature of basic humanity. Basic creaturehood, the fundamentals of being human, is what those are. They're not in the law. They show up later in the law. They have an expression there, but they didn't start there. God, the almighty creator of everything, wants most from you faith. Read Hebrews. He's a rewarder. And in order to be rewarded, we first have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Um, and then you have the whole chapter on faith. There are only two instances of the tithe before the law was given. Do I have tons of scripture? Nope. Still persuaded. Um, and there's scripture and some logic. Here's, here's the bad example. Here's the one that I wish was better. Jacob. Uh, Jacob, good guy or bad guy in, this, in the Bible? Yeah. Normal guy, right? 
um, bad and good. Jacob uh, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then Yahweh will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. And by the way, that's what the word tithe means. Tithe just means tenth. You can't tithe 5% or 8% or 12%. Uh, You can't do it. That's all you can do is tithe 10%. Uh, It's just what the word means. Um, So he said, I'll give a tenth. So what this shows is that the idea of the tithe was already there. It was already happening. It It was something that he thought of as a way that he expresses his dependence on God. He's not a good example. He has the cart before the horse, right? If you do all these things, then I will. Um, But that's okay, because Jacob's a bad guy. Abram, when he goes off, Abraham, when he goes off to get Lot, his nephew, back, um, because some bad kings had had banded together and attacked these other bad kings. Um, It wasn't good guys, bad guys. It was bad guys, bad guys. And then uh, Abraham goes and gets them all back and brings them back. And on the way back, he runs into Melchizedek, who is um, a priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Salem, by the way, means peace. Uh, Bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So here again, we see that this tithe exists. It's just something that these patriarchs understood. We don't know a whole lot more than this right here about how they ever interacted with it. You've seen the full extent of this kind of biblical data. Um, But what's very interesting to me is that when the law finally comes, a thousand years, more than a thousand years later, um, here's the verse we get. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. That's a tabernacle. Eventually, it would become the temple. What's interesting to me, because you're, you're saying, but Sam, I thought we weren't counting on the law. We're not. What I'm pointing out is that in the law, God didn't have to explain what a tithe was. He doesn't say you have to start giving a tithe. What he says is, here's what you do with your tithe. To me, that's very persuasive um, as, it's, as God has worked in my thinking, in my heart. So God is assuming that they're giving tithes, and now he says to them, here is where you put it. Take it to the priests and Levites. In other words, they're spiritual authorities, and the priests and Levites used it to run the megachurch, the temple. Uh, By the way, they also used it to live in all the different areas where they lived because they weren't allowed to own property and generate wealth in this way. And so it just paid for the priestly uh, system. So for me in my journey, I went from having a wrong basis and a wrong heart um, to seeing what I believe is the correct basis for it. Um, And a better heart (laughs) along the way. When I saw, I'd always been angry about having to give the tithe. It felt like so much money to give up. What could I do with that 10%? Um, really a heart problem. But when I saw what, how God had set things up and just what he wanted for me, I was like, oh, clarity. Thank you, God. And I'm, I'm happy and, and glad to give it. Um, 
So there are some reasons that I would say you shouldn't use. Uh, these aren't the reasons you're looking for. There's an older movie called Star Wars, and that's what that's from. Um, so what are the reasons we shouldn't? One, we've just been talking about a whole lot, the law. Uh, I would say to you, you don't give your tithe because the law says so. The law is just an evidence that the tithe was in effect, that it was something that God had expected, and it gives us some indicators of how God feels about his law. Uh, by the way, there's a death penalty in the law for priests who misuse the tithes that they are given. That's fun. Um, secondly, um, there's, there's, this, there's this idea that Jesus, when he was doing the um, Sermon on the Mount, and he does the, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that he elevates, he raises the bar. Um, the problem I have with that is I don't think he is raising the bar. I think he's clarifying the bar. When, so Jesus comes and says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, you can't look at a woman with lust in your heart. God had never been okay with looking at a woman with lust in your heart. That had always been off limits. And, but their teaching, the teaching of the religious leaders over the centuries, had said, had indicated that if you have the form of righteousness, if you look good, then you're okay. And what's on the inside doesn't matter. That's what Jesus comes and addresses. And so there is no elevation. I, don't, I, don't, I can't get behind that. It is just, he says, here's the way it works. Not only can you not murder, you can't hate your brother or your sister. Um, if you're wondering about that, you can do some reading in Psalm 50, where the Israelites are running all the temple stuff properly, but their hearts are far from God. And he says, would you just shut the doors? Cut it out. I don't need all this. Um, God cares about our heart and the form in that order. Um, the third reason that is not the reason we're looking for is the anecdotes of blessing when you tithe. How many of you have heard someone say, I think this is perfect. Uh, how many of you have heard someone say that when I started to tithe, I had more money than I ever did before? Come on, raise your hand. Don't just nod. I want to compare it to the bacon count. All right, so not as many as in first service or as many as had bacon here, um, but still quite a few of you. I've heard that time and time again, that when we started to tithe, then we, you know what? If that's your basis for doing it, you're in contractualism again. By the way, when my wife and I started to tithe, we had more money than we had before. It were, I mean, it, it, that happened to us. Will it always happen? No. Have any of you ever known a righteous person to suffer? Yes. There is no magic formula with God. What I do know is that when we obey him, he blesses, but that blessing is often stored up on the other side for us. You may get some of it here. Truth is, you don't really want it on this side. If our options are this side or the other side, please hold it. Right? That's what we want. We want it where it's going to be permanent. Um, so, so this one, even though it seems to happen over and over and over again, um, is not a good reason to do it. So let's talk about some of the details of tithing. The primary thought that I want you to carry with you is that the tithe is a gift. Not a gift you give to God, a gift God has given to you. 
It is your chance to be dependent. It is my chance to throw myself on him. Because when money's tight and you sit there and you look at the 10% that you write as a check or you direct deposit or however you do it, you cash out and use the envelope system and you bring it that way, that is hard. That can be hard. The tithe is a gift from God to all people everywhere, regardless of their belief structure, to count on him. God was really good to us in this. He simplified the amount. He said 10%. So I asked Kip for, for a box of $100 bills. So that, that should be, um, how much is that? That's too much. Uh, it should have been 1000 Oh, hang on. They actually just gave me 100 ones. All right, so pretend, pretend each of those are $10 bills, and this is $1,000, which in uh, the place where we live, I know some of you make less than $1,000 a week, some of you make more than $1,000 a week, but on average, um, if these were all $10 bills, that's $1,000 right there per week. And what God says with the tithe is, it's super simple. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, and that one I'll put in my pocket later. All right. Okay, right there. There is a tithe. You're done. If you have been through basic math and you know how to move a decimal point one way to the whichever, um, I can't do math in the air, so you figure it out, then you can figure the tithe, and it's simple, and it's done. And I think that was a good gift of God, that he didn't make us stand around and try to figure out well, exactly how much am I supposed to be giving? He tells us, um, I think, it's 10%. Um, we'll talk about the 90% in a minute. Um, but he also simplified, I think, the direction. Every place we see in Scripture, both in the law and pre-law, we see that the tithe was given to a spiritual authority. For me, it's been a very simple decision that my wife and I have made together, is that our spiritual authority as the pastors and overseers of this church Therefore, that's where we bring our tithe. Um, so you may be saying, well, hang on. I, I have a lot of other things I like to do. That's awesome. Me too. You know what you get to do that with? The 90%. This 10%, from my opinion, is required. All of this is fun. And I don't mean Netflix. What I mean is that now, as a steward of God's property, and by the way, the money that you make isn't your money. If you ever find yourself saying, my money, I, so, I realize sometimes we have to say it, right? Like when we're interacting with people. But if in your heart you say my money, then I, I, I empathize with you because that's where I've been. It's still hard sometimes. But it's not my money. It's not your money. You're a steward. Which means that with this remaining pile, God has said, see how many ways you can honor me. Isn't that exciting? That he's given you, that like this 10%, it's almost no fun. Like, oh God, I have to put, the, yeah, I put that a certain way. That's how you show dependence on me. That, has a, that shows how you um, acknowledge me as your king. But this, go crazy with it. Now, the primary way that we do that is we feed our family, right? We, we house our family, 
We get medical stuff for our family. That one's, we'll pretend that one's on the table still. Uh, you educate your kids, and if you have kids in college, you know, you do that. <laughs> I realize this isn't everyone, but most of us in America, even after we've done all this, and by the way, this is the way you honor God. Kip's going to talk a lot. I don't want to steal all this thunder. It is honoring God to feed your family and give them housing and provide education and experiences and etc. All that stuff honors God. But most of us end up where after we've done all that, we have some laying around. And my temptation is always to say, well, I can upgrade my Netflix to one without commercials and uh, maybe get Pandora without commercials because I hate it when I have to listen to those. Um, I'd like to eat out more than what I do. And uh, really, my vehicle looks kind of cruddy, so... And then before long, we've used it all up on us. What God wants us to do is, after we've taken care of the things that have to be done, I think, in one, I think he wants us to be creative here about how it is. We can do this better than what, we, than what we do. I know I could do it better than what I do. I am not a perfect model in this. If you hear me saying I have it all figured out and aren't you people dumb, then you're hearing me wrong. I'm just saying it took me a long time to get where I am. God wants us to say, how can I bless people? This is James. This is James saying somebody comes to you and they are hungry and they're cold. That's what this is for. Sometimes if this is all gone and someone comes to us and says, I'm hungry and I'm cold, I have to say, oh, to meet those needs. Because I probably don't even need all that I've spent over here, but... That's a different, different topic. I'm, I'm getting into Kip's too much. All right, so I think tithe is fun because it gives us a clear picture of how we deal with what. Um, we have some fantastic nonprofits in town. We are so blessed to live where we do. And if you, hear, if you right now hear me saying that you're not supposed to be giving to those, you're mishearing me. What I believe and different, the, the pastors are going to be talking about this more in the next couple of weeks, so they'll give more clarity on all this. But what I believe is, that's where this goes. Sometimes you actually know the individual person who needs it, and so you can give it directly. Sometimes you don't, and so you give to. I won't mention names because then I'll forget somebody. But there are great ones here that take care of children in other parts of the world and provide all kinds of resources that are necessary. Yes, be doing that. Um, we have all kinds of opportunities to be generous, and we have usually more than we need. Um, this was supposed to be a video that ran, but I sent it to him in the wrong format. It's these guys. It's this awesome one. If you, if you uh, Google hurdles wreck and, find, and, and limit your search to the GIFs so you can see them, this one's hilarious, and it would have been great. You would have been laughing right now, and it would have been like a good stress break in the sermon. But anyways... So what are some of the barriers to joyful tithing? Um, one is the feeling of that we don't have enough. And, and that's where we were. We were living well below the poverty line, and the thought of giving 10% of that $350 a month was just like, no, that's crazy. Can't do that. Um, I would encourage you at this point to do something I, I never did during that time, and that was develop a budget. Um, and seek help. We've, we've stigmatized financial failure. And if you're not looking, make sure you look, because 
I'm quoting, financial failure in our culture to where it's wrong to, or you feel shame to go and say, man, I'm not making it. We need to be able to do that. And we should definitely be able to do that within the church. Um, I would encourage you to talk to our pastors to get with the discipleship counseling. Um, better than that, ask God. Ask God for more. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can make as many hills as he wants. Um, there's, no, there's no limit to his resources. Um, and I just I would encourage you to read Mark 12. And the widow puts her last remaining money in the, in the box. I don't know if that was tithe or if that was a free will. I don't know what it was. We need to depend on him. Marital disagreement. My wife and I had a lot of that when we weren't tithing because she really wanted to tithe. And I told her, your theological argument doesn't stand up to mine. Um, if you're having marital stress over this, one of the primary reasons that divorces occur is financial stress. I don't want to add to that this morning. God doesn't want to cause disharmony with this. So pray together. Study scripture together. Pray separately. Study scripture separately. Talk to mentors. Talk to the pastors. Talk to discipleship counselors. There's a lot of help. Um, you need to get on the same page with this and explore your motives together. Um, maybe you distrust the church. Maybe you've been burned. Maybe you've been in a church where somebody ran off with a bunch of money. Maybe you've been in a church where you're like, it is not being spent right. It's being mismanaged. Um, maybe you make a lot of money. Maybe you are one, you know, somebody who's making three, four, five, ten million dollars a year, and you think, well, if I drop that much tithe in the offering plate here or online, they're not going to know what to do with it. If you have that feeling about the leadership of our church, then you need to talk to the leadership of our church. If you have distrust of their capacity to manage it, um, I urge you to, to come and talk about it with them uh, because I trust them. Um, talk with our overseers and with our pastors. Uh, maybe you're not excited about giving to the church. It's boring to give to the church where they keep the lights on. Um, have you looked at the list of things that we do? Have you thought about the fact that the church is the body of Jesus in this town? We're his hands and feet. If, it, if you don't think it's exciting to be giving to a church that is actively reaching out in the, to its community and around the world, then I think maybe your priorities are wrong in that. Um, that's my opinion. We have global partners in countries where if the gospel reaches the top layers of authorities, it's going to change entire countries. It's going to bloodlessly bring freedom and stop persecution, not just for Christians there, but for the marginalized people groups who live in those. It would mean education and futures for uh, women and girls in lots of places where